Okay, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning, and we'll be starting at verse 18. And let's open with prayer first. Father, we thank you for this book you've given us. We thank you that we can look at your wisdom and your power this morning compared to man's foolishness and, and lack of ability. Lord, we pray that as we study that you'll open our hearts and minds to understand the things that we can see from your word and help us to appreciate you uh, more and more. Uh, we thank you for these things now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so uh, to get our context, we'll just we'll read verses 18 through 25. And what we do is each person will read a verse as we, we start at the front and work our way back. If you don't want to read, you just say pass. So 18 through 25, Marie, you want to start? For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom and the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made <coughs> foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews you have signs, the Greeks seek wisdom. Yes, verse 23, if you like. Okay. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greek, Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Okay. So last week, um, we were talking about the I guess the divisions and arguments that they were having in the church were, uh, we can see in fact in verse 12, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. So they were following different leaders, and Paul really chewed out those who claimed to be his followers. Um, and one of the things in particular, uh, he didn't want anybody going around bragging about the fact that they got baptized by Paul. And so he he mentions uh, three names here of the people he did baptize. Uh, we see, you know, from other passages, these all were all ended up being church leaders. One was, had been the leader of the synagogue. Another one hosted the church. Stephanus was um, the first convert in this whole region. And then he's with, he travels from Corinth to Ephesus where Paul is to support Paul. So they're all active in the church. And... So they're not boasting about who baptized them. You know, they're too busy serving. Uh, but uh, in verse 17, uh, Paul says, he was not sent by Christ to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Um, and so that leads us into uh, verse 18. So let's look at 18 and 19. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. So this phrase, word of the cross, refers to the gospel here. And we saw already, he was, Paul says, I was sent to preach the gospel. 
And this he connects with the cross of Christ back in verse 17, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. And here in our passage in verse 23, he says, we preach Christ crucified. So that was the, the core of the gospel, Christ dying uh, for our, our sins. Now this is kind of sets up a, a contrast. As we're going through this passage, there'll be a, a contrast. Because in verse 17... He says he preached, but it was not in cleverness of speech or words of eloquent wisdom. And that is literally <coughs> wisdom of words in the Greek. He did not preach the wisdom of words. And that refers to the words of a philosopher. Because <coughs> the word wisdom is Sophia. And a philosopher is, is philo, which is friend or, or love of Sophia, wisdom. A philosopher is one who loves wisdom. And we actually have that word in Colossians chapter 2. Let's turn there. Colossians 2 and verse 8. Someone would like to read that for us. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Okay, so here we have this, as it says, there, hollow and empty philosophy, the uh, lover of the earthly wisdom. And so that's what he's combating here, um, this philosophy. So we have this contrast between... <coughs> In verse 18, the word of the cross versus the word of wisdom that we saw in verse 17. Now one of the things that they're saying about the, the gospel here in verse 18 is they, they're calling it foolishness. And the Greek word here is moria or moriah. It comes from moros, which we get the English word moron. <laughs> so they consider the gospel to be moronic, stupid, foolish. So we have contrast between Sophia, wisdom, and moria, foolishness, as we go through this passage. So there's this two, two sides to this, pretty much a contrast. So who are these people who are saying that the cross is foolishness? Well, it says those who are perishing. And the word perishing is the same word as in verse 19, where it says, I will destroy. So perishing doesn't mean to die. It means to be utterly and totally destroyed, uh, to be brought to utter ruin. Um, it's far worse than dying. This really refers to um, uh, eternal damnation is what it refers to. Well, perishing in Scripture usually means that, right? Right. Yes. That's what the word perish means. It's John 3, 16. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's why I wore this tie this morning. There's perish. <laughs> <laughs> but have everlasting life. 
Now we know we're not going, we, we know we're going to die unless Christ comes. So, you know, we're not saved from dying, we're saved from perishing, we're saved from that utter destruction. So these are the ones who are going to utter destruction. And the irony here is that the gospel that they call stupid is the only thing that can keep them from utter destruction. So they are really their own worst enemy here. So on the other hand, we have Paul and the Corinthian believers, and he refers to them as us who are being saved. So we have those who have accepted the gospel. We are saved from destruction. And we know that the gospel is the power of God. And we'll see that again in verse 24. Um, it says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. So the gospel is how God uses his or expresses his power to save us from this destruction. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Someone would like to read verse 16 for us. We're in not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, it's the power that is expressed through the gospel. And let's also turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So I'd like to read verses 4 and 5 for us. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that, have, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit in full conviction. You know that you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Okay, so again we see the gospel coming in power. <coughs> I think this is a, kind of a funny verse. I, I was teasing the pastor last week. How do you know if someone's elect or someone's chosen by God? Well, it's because this verse says the gospel came in power. They're saved. <laughs> so if you're saved, you must be chosen, right? It's kind of like after the fact. Um, Interesting so. that it has full conviction, too. Because right. like Wednesday night, we were talking about repentance. Yes. Repentant heart. Mm-hmm. And in the Gospels, when Jesus says he'll send the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit is convict. So as part of the power of the Gospel and the Holy Spirit, it convicts us of our sins or our need for salvation. And so then we, we look at the Savior. Okay, so in verse 19, Paul goes back to the Old Testament to give some backup to his argument. So verse 19 where it says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. That comes from Isaiah chapter 29. So let's turn to Isaiah 29 and we'll look at that uh, in context. Isaiah chapter 29. Would someone like to read verses 13 and 14? Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. 
Therefore, once more I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intellect will vanish. Okay, so Paul just quotes the second half of verse 14, but we see the context. He's, uh, Isaiah is talking to the uh, religious leaders of Israel who are just basically quoting ex, you know, empty traditions and empty theology, and they go through the religious practices, but as it says, their hearts are far from him. So... Uh, in Isaiah, this, this empty traditions are going to be shown to be worthless. They didn't save. And in the same way, we're going to look and, and hear in our passage that the traditions of men are empty. They cannot save. And while we're in Old Testament, let's turn to Jeremiah, if you're still in the Old Testament. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 8. Someone like to read verse 9 for us there. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? Okay. The wise men will be put to shame. They've rejected God's word. So they are essentially worthless, worthless and ignorant. They do not have wisdom if they do not know God's word. Okay, so going on back in 1 Corinthians... Looking at verses 20 and 21, he says, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So Paul's asking him to consider all the wise men that they're they know of. Um, the term wise men is kind of general for gen Gentile philosophers. The scribe refers to the Jewish um, scholars. Remember we always talk about in the Old Testament in the Gospels, the scribes and the Pharisees. So the scribes are sometimes, sometimes they're called lawyers because they know the law very well. So they're the ones who have the all the detailed, intimate knowledge of, of the uh, Old Testament. So those are the Jewish scholars. And then you've got the debater of the age. So this is another term for uh, those who uh, have the knowledge of the world, can debate, have, have understanding of philosophy. I'm going to just look at Acts chapter 17 briefly because we're going to if we get that far, we may read the whole section next time. But Acts chapter 17, someone like to read verse 18. Acts 17, 18. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were con conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others... He seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Okay, so this is when Paul was in Athens. So they had the philosophers there. This was the you know, ancient center of learning. And it's only 45 miles from Corinth. 
So there was a lot of interplay between the two cities. <clears throat> so they were, the people in Corinth were well aware of all these Greek philosophers who all accumulated kind of in, in Athens. Um, so our verse, verse 20, says, God has made them all look foolish. It says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Well, how did he do that? How did he make them look foolish? He proved them to be foolish because their wisdom failed to bring them to a knowledge of God. It failed to provide a way of salvation. You know, and for, for us, one of the most important things is to know our Creator. And for all their wisdom, they never knew Him. They could not make that connection. It was useless. All this debating, all this grand philosophy was foolish. It was a waste of time. They thought they could work their way to heaven, being good enough to be saved. They were God's yep. people, but they felt like you had to be really, really good. Right. Whereas Jesus came saying, no, you can't be good <laughs> enough. <laughs> if you're that good, you don't need me. <laughs> yeah. You have to re recognize, you have to be convicted of the fact that you're not that good and you need a Savior, right? Right. right. So, so God here is making these wise men look foolish. Now, today, what are, what are the wise people today? If you see a quote in a newspaper and they're, they're quoting somebody, they quote a scientist, or a college professor, or what else? Somebody with a doctorate and something? Nobel laureate or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And one of the things I think I learned when I was in college was there are folks who, they just love being in that environment. And they just stay there. They're not especially bright. They just like being at college. And eventually, you end up with a doctorate degree, and, an, and you're a professor. They're not smart. <laughs> they just never left. You know, so. Well, I had that chance. One of my dad's will said that Joe finished school. Well, everybody finished Joe's college. You finished college. So I could have just kept staying in school. You could have, yeah. And never quite finished. Until you ran out of money, yeah. And never quite finished. Yeah. You run out of money, and then hopefully you'll get your debt to... First, I was <laughs> forgiven. By the time they died, I was long past that age. Yeah. yeah. Well, God, God has always made man's wisdom look foolish. This is nothing new. Let's turn back to the book of Job. This is an old book. Now, there's a debate about when Job was written. I think it was written while the Jews were in captivity in Egypt. But a lot of Folks will say they think it was. I can find it. Esther, right after Esther. We, that's our previous book yeah. we studied with Esther. We should have almost still have a marker there. Yeah. Right? Okay. Job chapter twelve. We'll look at a few different verses here in this chapter. Let's start. Someone like to read verses sixteen and seventeen. Both deceived and deceiver are his. 
Okay, God makes fools of the judges, counselors, walk barefoot. Okay, and dropping down in the same chapter, somebody would like to read verse 20 for us. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. Okay, he takes away discernment of those who are supposed to be elders, who are supposed to know, have all the answers. Um, dropping down, somebody like to read verse 24. takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. Okay. So here's the chiefs. of the, These are the leaders. Wander around aimlessly because God has taken away their wisdom. <laughs> Don't we see that in this world? <laughs> Why use the word reason? Reason, yeah. Reason. Okay. Okay. Uh, Another, let, let's look at Isaiah chapter 44. We have another good verse here. Isaiah 44, verse 25. Causing the omens of boasters to fail, making fools out of diviners, causing wise men to draw back, and turning their knowledge into foolishness. Okay, making fools of the diviners and turning the wisdom of wise men into foolishness. That's exactly what Paul's telling us now in 1 Corinthians. God's been doing that for centuries. Um, you get uh, men who think they're brilliant, and God says, no, you're not very smart. <laughs> so... Back in our passage, God says this, this failure of human wisdom. Um, it says, in, in, for in the wisdom of God, the world did not come in, uh, through its wisdom to know God. So this was God's plan. This is his, his wisdom, his intelligence. This is his plan was to, um, to make them look foolish. I like the part they choose the non-wise to spread his word. <laughs> you know, I could write it. Non-wise, <laughs> yes. Consider your call, brother. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the next section in First Corinthians. You're getting ahead of it. Not many wise, yeah. So, you know, this is... Is God's plan was uh, not something that people could figure out. It was uh, and one of the things that has struck me is you look at the and I may be getting ahead of myself here <laughs> but you look at the cross Satan entered into Judas to send Christ to the cross. Having no idea that he was signing his death warrant by doing that. You know, this is God's plan. It made, he made Satan look foolish, not just human, human philosophers. Um, let's look at some other passages about his, uh, God's wisdom. Um, 
Romans 11 and verse 33. Someone would like to read that for us. the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Okay. Here Paul is expressing his awe at God's plan and God's wisdom. In this particular case God has temporarily set aside Israel in order to present, bring the Gentiles into the church. Um, and Paul's saying, wow, isn't that great that he can do that? <laughs> um, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3 also. We see some more about God's wisdom. Ephesians chapter 3. Someone like to read verses 8 through 11 here. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God and created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay, so here we see, you know, part of Paul's commission was God had this plan and he, and some of it was not revealed in the Old Testament. You know, and God through the prophets has given a great deal of the plan, but part of this was, of the church was not revealed. And that was, uh, Paul's commission was to reveal that. And, uh, and so now it's, known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, that phrase is often used of um, Satan and the demons as well. So it's like, they didn't see it coming. So all of a sudden here, God's doing something and nobody saw it coming. And that was part of God's wisdom here to reveal his plan. Okay, so now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21. And he goes, in this verse he says, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. So here God is being sarcastic. and He's calling the gospel foolish. Since that's what the so-called wise men called it. So he says, okay, so let's say it's foolish. Uh, but it does save so uh, it doesn't fail. It's a, it's a so-called foolish plan, but it has the power to save those who believe it. And that's something that the world's wisdom was unable to do. So if God's plan is foolish, but it works, what does that make man's plan? Even worse than foolish, by comparison. Okay, going on to verses 22 and 23. It says, for indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. So the Jews and the Gentiles have different problems or issues with the message of the gospel. Um, 
Paul says his message is Christ crucified. So you've got the Son of God dying for man's sins. So the Jews wanted a sign. So their scholars uh, were expecting really a conquering Messiah who would come with great signs and wonders. And this gospel doesn't fit that expectation. And I, I looked at quite a few commentaries as I'm going through here. None of them really said, well, why would the Jews be expecting signs and wonders? So let's go back and, and look at some passages about why, why that's so. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Someone like to read verses 15 through 19. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb in the day of the assembly when he said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I'll put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Okay, so here is the prophecy. God says, I will raise up another prophet like Moses. Well, what did Moses do? Besides, you know, he, he, he went and got the law, but what happened before that? Um, judgments in Egypt. The judgments in Egypt, right. The ten plagues. There had been nothing like that in, in past history. These huge signs and wonders. He, you know, this is what Moses the prophet did. And he says, there's going to be another prophet like me. So let's look at Acts chapter 7. And he freed the people from Egypt. Yes. That was what they were looking for. Freedom from the oppression, yes, of the Romans. Yeah. Acts, Acts chapter 7. So this is Stephen. Uh, so I'd like to read verses 36 and 37. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Okay, you see that these ideas are just combined in these two sentences. Moses did all these wonderful miracles and, he's going to, and God's going to raise up a prophet just like him. So of course he'll be doing all these miracles, right? So what does that lead to? Let's look at the book of John, chapter 6. This is the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6, someone like to read verses 13 through 15 for us. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by
by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Yes, in 15 also. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, so they see the signs. This is the prophet. Mm -hmm. We're going to make him king. Because as soon as he gets to be king, then he's going to kick the Romans out. So we see that response. Um, that didn't happen. So let's look to Acts chapter 3. So this is after Pentecost, and Peter's first sermon. Acts chapter 3, would someone like to read verses 19 through 22 for us? Okay, so here, you know, this is Peter's first sermon. And so he's really, he's, he's talking to the Jews, and he's almost saying like, okay, yes, you crucified Christ, but you still have time to repent. The times of refreshing is the restoration of the nation of Israel. It's almost like he's offering the Messiah to them again, even though they've rejected him and saying, if you, you know, here's another chance, repent, and your nation will be restored. Um, but that wasn't God's plan. Instead, the gospel was turned and given to the Gentiles. So let's look at uh, another example. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. And this is a case where Jesus did refer to his miracles Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. So I'd like to read this for us. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to excuse me? Are you the one who is to come? Should we expect someone or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, <coughs> Go back and report to John what you have heard and, see, heard and see, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have upset are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Okay. So here John is in prison. He begins to wonder, is Jesus really the Messiah? He has some doubts about that, so he sends his disciples. And Jesus basically, uh, he refers back to, this is in Isaiah chapter 35, uh, where it says, the, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. That was a prophecy of what the Messiah would do. So he tells John's disciples, you see me doing this, I'm fulfilling the prophets, you know, I'm not doing, I'm not calling down fire and judgment on the whole earth like Moses might have. But I am fulfilling a prophecy. You go back and tell John that, yes, 
He, you know, I'm, I'm the Messiah that was prophesied. And he ends by saying, Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. And that's the problem that Jews had. They stumbled over him because he didn't live up to the, um, what they thought he ought to be. But they did, they kept demanding signs. Since we're in Matthew, let's turn to chapter 12. Why did John doubt? I, w- I wondered about that. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's thrown in prison. He's because his war wasn't being done as what he thought it should be? Maybe he thought the same thing. Yeah. I mean, he was, uh, he was the one who was preparing the way for the Lord. And, in the, and when you look at some of the prophecies, it was the Messiah who was coming. Um, with, you know, he had the spirit of Elijah and was pre- preparing the way for the Lord. Now, in a way, that's a partial fulfillment of that prophecy the final fulfillment will be in the future when Elijah does come to prepare the way of the Lord and maybe he was just in prison being discouraged and thinking yeah. how have I done for nothing you know <laughs> I really thought things were going to change they aren't, you know, I, I don't know I, yeah. I, I read that, that why did you know as close as they were early why did he doubt but, and he said yeah. he baptized him yeah. if he baptized Jesus did he see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus? I yes. don't know. Yes. He saw that. I, I believe he did. Yeah, yes. yeah I, I believe it too. But and the voice he from saw heaven. That, how could he disbelieve? I don't know. He's Christ human. is so humble. He's human. He's not like a leader. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and he, Sometimes, you know, John was human. And, mm-hmm. you know, this was before the Holy Spirit indwelt right. people. <laughs> right. Um, you know, people can become discouraged. Right. He was in prison. <laughs> he, you know, I'm trying to, when, I'm, it was when he baptized him that he said, he, this is my son, who am I right, that yeah. he must become greater. And, you know, and I must become less. less, yes. That was when he baptized right. him, so that would have been before and, prison. Right. Yeah. But, I, you know, it, this all had to uh-huh. open, you know, lots of people had to open their eyes. I, right. You know, Gentiles, and even I mean, when we were reading, some of the Jewish leaders believed in Christ. You know, when right. they were were taught, and just yeah. like you know, a year ago when we went to that Seder feast, the Jew presenting it is a believer. Right. But right. Small number. Yeah. And when and when John the Baptist did baptize Christ, after I think it was afterwards, he he told one of the disciples, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." You know that was. Not the conquering Messiah, that was the suffering Messiah that he pointed out. So, you know, the, the Jews had these two different um, concepts of what's the Messiah going to be like. They wanted the conquering Messiah, but God sent them the suffering Messiah first. And so that they were a little confused over that. And I think that's why Jesus said, don't stumble over that. You know, I did not come to conquer, but to save. Um, But the Jews, they kept asking for uh, signs. Matthew, okay, Matthew chapter 12. Someone like to read verses 38 through 40. And some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. 
But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. How far? Okay. That's good enough. You know, that he'll be raised after three days, be raised from the dead. So he said, okay, I'll give you a sign. <laughs> it's going to be my resurrection. <laughs> you know, he'll put me to death, but I will rise again. So that's going to be your sign. Um, so this was not the, the conquering Messiah, the prophet after Moses with all the signs and wonders was not the one that Paul was preaching. That's what the Jews wanted to hear, and they stumbled because he was preaching the crucified Christ. Since we're, let's look at Luke chapter 24. This is Luke's version of the Great Commission. Luke chapter 24. And someone like to read verses 44 through 48. Long chapters in Luke. 44 through 48. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Okay. So here is the, this is the gospel that Jesus was, or that Paul was preaching. Um, Christ will suffer, rise again, and there will be repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So that is what, what Paul was called to preach. So the Jews did not want to hear this. Um, instead, they, they, had, they were being given a Messiah that didn't make sense to them. Well, they wanted another judge to conquer like a back in the old book. Right, right. And, and there was another problem. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3. Someone like to read verse 13. Okay. Paul is presenting them a Messiah who was cursed under the law. That just blew their minds. <laughs> he was a curse. He was he wasn't the conqueror. He wasn't the king of kings that they wanted. He was cursed because they hung him on a tree. Um, Right. Yeah. But even as a savior, they still it was like, does he have to be cursed to be a savior? Yeah. You know that again. We're looking at, at God's plan, and it didn't make sense to them, and they yeah. and they stumbled. And even today, you know, talking about foolishness of the wise. Free offer to some people it seems like a free lunch and it's ridiculous because there's nothing free. What's the catch? Yeah, what's the catch? And you know, signs and wonders. I mean, today I'm really skeptical 
about signs and wonders because yeah. you know I, I don't. But maybe people they were demonic or something in those days. Yeah. Yeah. So there's lots of lots of reasons to be skeptical. Well. God, God knew this was going to happen, that they'd, be, they'd stumble. I, I'll read 1 Peter 2, 6-8. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. So it was prophesied that, that many would stumble over this um, presentation of the Messiah. Well, we need to close there. So, Joe, sure. you can pray for us. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it speaks to us. We thank you for the living, living word of yours that comes to us. We thank you for the historical values of it, to see how you took care of those in the past that loved you, that you will take care of us also. We thank you for this hour, for the next hour to come whenever God presents. Dear Christian, we pray. Amen. Amen. Robert.